Good morning. How's everybody today? I am so glad uh, to be with you. I, I spoke here about a month ago. My name is Steve Ferris, and uh, I am a ministry partner over. My wife and I attend our Mount Juliet campus, and we have lived here in Nashville for about a, a year. And uh, man, it's, it's an honor to be with you. This is something that I don't take lightly, just doing this and uh, talking about God's Word, and so I hope that you're encouraged uh, today, and um, we're going to dive right in because I got a lot to say, and we got a lot of good things we're going to dig through, uh, and I want to honor our time, okay? You guys ready? Okay, just kind of shake it out for me a little bit, stretch your neck a little bit. In fact, just uh, gently, gently nudge someone next to you and say this, are you ready? Because this is for you today. Say it again. This is for you today. All right? Okay. So we've been in this series. Oh, by the way, uh, if you see something on the screens today, I don't know if I said this last time I was here, but this is really something special for me. If you see something on the screen today that uh, touches your heart or encourages you or challenges you, don't be embarrassed. Just pull out your smartphone and take a picture of the screen and then pay it forward. Share it with somebody via text. Uh, share it on your social media. Here, here's the reality. If it encourages you in here, it'll probably encourage somebody out there, right? So, so don't be shy about taking uh, pictures or whatever. Uh, so we're in this series called Whatever It Takes. And uh, those three words are actually a part of our church's mission statement. You could think of it like this. We want to do whatever it takes, both as a church family and as individual followers of Christ, we want to do whatever it takes to help those around us, those that we live with, live by, work with, play with, go to school with. We want to help those who live around us experience the same life-changing love of Jesus Christ that we've experienced, right? And, and in case you've forgotten or nobody told you, that's what we're trying to do here. That's the goal. That's, that's why we open our doors as a church. That's why churches open their doors. That's why you're still here on earth as a human being. Uh, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but uh, if the goal, if the ultimate goal for every believer is to go to heaven one day, why doesn't God, the moment that you hand over the keys of your life to him and, and, and give your heart to Christ fully, why doesn't he immediately zap you to heaven? If that's where he wants you long term, why don't we just go there immediately? And the answer is, there must be something he wants you to do here. And I promise you a 100% chance that something that God wants you to do here in your 70s, 80s, if you're lucky, 90 years here on this planet, I promise you it has something to do with helping other people bump into Jesus. Like, that's, that's what we're all about. So, for the past couple of weeks, we've been asking, does our whatever it takes, what we're doing with our life, does it line up with what God wants us to do? A couple of weeks ago, Pastor Rick Loy, he asked the question, um, does our life, does what we're doing with our time here on earth, does it line up with what the Bible says? Then last week, Rick's very handsome and talented son, Aaron Loy, who some of you might know, uh, 
he asked the question, does what I'm doing with my life, does our whatever it takes as a church, does it line up with what Jesus said in, in the Bible? And so now, today, we're going to tackle kind of a two-parter. I want us to think through today, does my life reflect what God is doing? Or am I just making up a bunch of stuff? Am I just coming up with my own agenda and asking God, hey, God, bless this plan that I've put together for my life, or are we trying to mimic what we see God doing? And then the other part is, uh, what exactly, God, is it that you're telling us to do? So, so does our whatever it takes line up with what God is doing and what God tells us to do? So as I was studying this week, God laid this question on my heart, and I'm going to share it with you, and warning, uh, awkward church silence uh, question here, but I think it's a fair question. Look at this on the screen. What am I doing with my life to help other people know the Jesus that I know? Just let that settle for a minute. And these questions aren't meant for guilt trips. They're meant for self-reflection and evaluation. Like, what am I doing with my life that's helping other people bump into Jesus? Practically, it means um, how I treat people, how I act, think, and speak, the choices that I make. Are all these things in my life pointing other people to Jesus? It's not always the funnest question to answer, but it's, it's a fair question for all of us. Right, So it's something I want us to kind of hold on to, just kind of put that in your pocket while we're talking today, and then at the end, I'll come back and tie it all together, I hope. All right, We're going to start in John chapter 5, so if you have your Bible or your smartphone or other device, uh, you can go ahead and turn there. While you're doing that, I want to give us a little bit of background this morning. John chapters 3 through 5, uh, Jesus is doing a bunch of Jesus stuff. He's teaching, he's healing, Uh, he runs into this guy named Nicodemus, you've probably heard that name before, Uh, he meets this woman from Samaria and has this life-changing conversation with her, Uh, he heals the son of a royal official, Uh, and and then finally in John chapter 5, we we come to this uh, place where Jesus arrives at this healing pool in Jerusalem. And, uh, and what you need to know about that is the Greeks who had infiltrated Jerusalem during Jesus' day, they worshipped a lot of pagan gods. And one of the gods they worshipped was the god of healing. So they would find these hot springs or these you know, hot pools and they would build these big um, structures around it and people would come and what they believed is when the water would bubble up, the first person to jump in the water or get in the water would be healed. And so Jesus comes to this particular pool on this day, and he meets a guy who can't walk. In fact, this guy's been coming to this same pool for 38 years, hoping that one day he'll be the first one in the water and he'll be healed and be able to walk, but it's never happened. But on this day, he bumps into Jesus, and Jesus heals him, and not with the water from the pool. It was called the pool of Bethesda. Not, not from the water in the pool, just with his words. Jesus says, do you want to be made well? The guy says, yes, and he says, get up and walk. Now, that sounds amazing. 
The only problem with that story is that that particular day at the pool where Jesus healed this guy, there were some of the religious leaders there who already didn't like Jesus. And they saw him heal this guy, and he happened to heal the guy on the Sabbath. We don't have time to go deep into this, but you just need to know these religious leaders, they took the command to remember the Sabbath and rest way too far. They were just way overboard, and so they get ticked because in their minds, healing someone is working, and Jesus shouldn't have been working on the Sabbath. So they go in and they get in Jesus' face, and they basically say, you can't be healing people on the Sabbath. That, that's work. And so we're going to pick it up in John chapter 5, verse 17, and this is Jesus' response to these guys when they get in his face. Verse 17, the Bible says this, but Jesus replied, my father is always working, and so am I. So now the Jewish leaders tried all the harder to find a way to kill him. Remember, they already didn't like him. Now he not only broke the Sabbath in their eyes, he called God his father, thereby making himself equal with God. So now they really don't like him. Verse 19, and this is where I want us to focus this morning. So Jesus explained, I tell you the truth, the son can do nothing by himself. He does only what he sees the father doing. Whatever the father does, the son also does. I just had this thought just now as we were reading that. You ever seen uh, someone you know or one of those cute videos on, uh, on YouTube or Facebook or whatever where a dad is doing something like the dad's working on the car and the little kid's got his fake toys, uh, tools, and he's you know, working. He wants to work like dad, right? He wants to be just like dad. That's what this passage is saying is, and we could insert ourselves. We could say, uh, Steve does only what he sees the father doing. And put your name in. The son or daughter of God only does what they see God doing. Our business here on earth is not to to create our own ideas. And I'm, I'm not that guy. I'm not saying like chasing your dreams and having goals. That's not bad. I'm not saying that that's bad. The problem comes when our whole life is about attaining what we want instead of asking ourselves, well, what's God doing? And so if we want to follow Jesus' example here in John chapter 5, and we want to just do what we see the Father doing, then here's a logical question this morning. Look at this on the screen. What exactly does God do? (laughs) Like, what, like, if someone asked you, who is God? Most of us could come up with a pretty good answer. Well, he's the creator of the universe. You know, you could come up with stuff. But what if someone said, well, what does God do? Like, what is his nine to five gig? Like, what does God do? That might be a little bit harder to answer. And so while I was studying this week, I came up with a list of some things that God does from both the Old and New Testament And clearly, this is not a comprehensive list, but it gives you an idea of some of the stuff God does. Because if we're supposed to do what we see our Father doing, then we probably ought to ask ourselves, well, what does he do? Here's what he does. God shows compassion. He's patient. He gives hope. He brings joy. He loves, protects, and saves. He never leaves nor forsakes. He's slow to anger. He encourages and lifts up. He comforts and forgives. And again, that's not even close to the whole list, right? 
But if we wanted to sum up, not just our talk here this morning, but the entire Christian life, if we just wanted to boil it down to one thing, we could say it like this. Find out what God is doing or has done and do that. You'd be right on target. And, and, and we should do that, by the way. We should be aware and be in God's word and reading and listening. Okay, what are you doing, God? I, want, I just want to do that. But for me, I'm just being honest with you, church family time here this morning. When someone says, here's a list of all the things that God does, now you do that. My brain goes, Psh, like, it's too much. I'm like... I don't even want to do some of those things. And so I'm kind of the kind of person that goes, hey God, would you spell it out for me? Like, I, I want to do, y'all ever have that conversation with like your spouse or your boss or someone? Hey, like, quit beating around the bush. Just tell me exactly what you want me to do. And fortunately for us, God did that in Mark chapter 12. So if you want to Spin over there real quick in your Bible or on your, your phone. It's not very far from John chapter 5. Um, Jesus is doing Jesus stuff again. This time he's teaching in Jerusalem. And this crowd gathers, and most of the crowd on this particular day is made up of religious leaders, the ones that don't like Jesus, and Bible scholars. And they're kind of going back and forth with Jesus. Kind of a debate, if you will, but they're asking him questions and going back and forth. And... Uh, Uh, in the middle of the crowd, there's this guy that, after a while, he raises his hand and asks Jesus this amazing question. And we're going to pick it up in Mark chapter 12, verse 28. This is what happens. Now, one of the teachers of religious law was standing there listening to the debate, and he realized that Jesus had answered well. So he asked, of all the commandments, which is the most important? That is a good question. What he's saying to Jesus is, hey, you say you're the son of God and that's your dad, okay, whatever, like, you know. Of all the things that God wants us to do with our lives, of all the commands that God's given us in the Bible, and back then all they had was the New Testament at that time, so we have even more now, right? But of all the commandments God wants us to have, what's the most important? And Jesus is going to answer him very specifically. Look in verse 29. Now Jesus replied, the most important commandment is this. If you're a follower of Christ and you're someone who wants to do what God wants us to do, you should be all ears. Because Jesus himself is saying, you want to know what my dad thinks is the most important thing you can do with your life? Here it is. He even says, listen, O Israel. This, this first little part that I'm going to read is part of a Jewish uh, prayer called the Shema. Uh, when you, if you ever go to Israel or to a Jewish home here in the United States, they have a little box over their door that has a little slip of paper in it, and it has these words right here. The Lord our God is the one and only Lord, and it, it's just the foundation of their faith. So First, that's what Jesus does. He's appealing to these Jewish leaders, and he's, he's quoting the Shema that they believe so strongly in. So, so he's reminding them, hey, there's only one God. And then he says this in verse 30. There's only one God, and you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and your strength. 
And the second is equally important, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, let me tell you a couple of things about these statements that Jesus is making. First of all, he's not making stuff up on the fly. Jesus is actually quoting commands from God in the Old Testament. When he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, he's, he's quoting a passage from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And then when he says, love, the, love your neighbor as yourself, he's quoting Leviticus 19. And these guys knew that. They knew he's not just making this up. He's, he's telling us, you want to know what God thinks is most important? Here it is, right? And then the other thing uh, that Jesus does at the end of this is he puts a, an exclamation point on it. And he, he says, no other commandment is greater than these. And when he says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor, he's not saying, love the Lord your God is command number one. And then right under that second is love your neighbor as yourself. He's not saying that. He's saying part A and part B of the most important command that my father wants you to do with your life is this right here. Look on the screen. Love God and love other people. That's it. We can go home. If it were that simple, right? Just love God and love other people. And so... What does it even look like to love God? Like while I was studying this past couple of weeks for this message, I started thinking like, how do you quantify that? Now, an easy thing we could say is if, if you love God, you'll do the things that he does or you'll do what he tells you to do. But I think it's more than that because I, I don't think in the beginning it was ever God's intention for us to keep a do's and don'ts list. I just don't think that was the goal. I think what he wanted was hearts like his. Because then he knew if our hearts become so much like his, we'll do the things he does without even thinking about it. I heard a pastor say one time when it comes to discipleship and following God, if you have to think about it, you're not there yet. So, how do, how do we love God? What does that look like? So I, I wrote down a couple of things that I think we can agree on that will help us know, well, when we love someone, here's what it looks like, okay? Number one, whatever you love, you think about. Isn't that true? Just let that one settle for a minute. Like, the things we love are the things we think about. I love sports. And I think about sports a lot. I listen to Radio, talking about sports a lot. And you know what? As I was studying this week, man, God convicted me. And, and I'm not that guilt trip guy, so everybody relax, okay? But I felt God say, hey, Ferris. That's what he calls me sometimes when he talks to me. Uh, hey, Ferris, uh, what if you memorize scripture like you memorize sports statistics? Or the, favorite, or, or the numbers of all your favorite players' jerseys? What if you did that? And, and again, I'm not that guy because I, I watch a ton of sports. I'm a reality TV junkie. I, I, I'm not saying this morning that we, we should all shave our heads and put burlap on and walk around like months chanting scripture all the time. I'm not, that's not what I'm saying. But I am saying a good barometer to how much you love God is how much you think about him. And it's not a competition. 
You know, don't, don't call your friend this week. How much time do you think about God this week? Because let me tell you, 26 hours, 38 minutes, 19 seconds for me. It's not like that. It's just, I think it's a good introspective question. Like, how much do I think about God? Because whatever we love, we think about. Uh, I think even with fifth grade love, like crush puppy love in fifth grade, I think the principle still holds true. Um, when I was in the fifth grade, there was this girl in our class named Tanya. Man, I thought about her all the time. I did. And, and she was so nice and sweet. I even wrote a song about her. Um, I remember going on the side of our house in our hometown where we lived there, and I would go sit by the air conditioning unit and write this song and sing this song into the air conditioning unit. <laughs> and I can see the screensaver on some of your brains. You're like, why would you sing to the air conditioning unit? Well, if you've, if you've never figured this out, air conditioning units have a giant fan on them to keep it, you know, to keep the air cool. and, and uh, or the motor cool in there, and, um, and if you sing into the fan, it makes your voice sound cool. Like, you know, really good singers, when they hold out a note, it's like this, it's like, uh, and if you sing into a fan, your voice sounds like that. And as, as I was writing my Tanya song, I was like, man, I'm an amazing singer, she's going to love this. Now, <laughs> now you, you're probably wondering, well, Steve, uh, do you still know the Tanya song? And I might. Uh, there's, there's actually, uh, this was like, you got to understand the time. It was like 1979, 80, okay? And uh, there was a song out around then called Feelings. Don't even know who sang it, uh, but the song, the original song, Feelings, went like this. Feelings, nothing more than feelings. And I know some of you are like, I don't think that's how it went. I don't think it sounded like that. Uh, you get the gist. Don't judge me, okay? But, but um, so I don't remember all of the Tanya song, but the first line went like this. Tanya, you may be short, but you're cute. Tanya. <laughs> now, the point of this this morning is not my songwriting ability, Okay. The point is, whatever you love, you think about, right? How about this? Um, it's hard to love someone that you don't know, isn't it? So it goes without saying, if, if we're going to love God, we probably ought to take the time to get to know him. Isn't that true? And it, there might be somebody in here this morning that's like, okay, I'm in church. Sure, I want to get to know God. What does that look like practically? Like, literally, how do I get to know God? And I, we don't have a lot of time to go deep on these, but I, I, I put a few things on a slide that I want to, I want to talk about real quick. We've got to fly through them, so please take a picture of these so you won't forget. These are just some things that you can do uh, to get to know God. Okay, first of all, just... Every morning, every evening, or even both, just take a walk and talk to God. And, 
and there's probably people in here that, that are thinking, I don't even know what to say to God. Great place to start. Just say, God, I don't know what to say. And then just start talking to him like you would your friend. In fact, if you want to really freak your neighbors out, go for a walk with God in your neighborhood and talk to him out loud. Just by yourself, just you and God, and you're just talking to him out loud. Your neighbors would be like, eh, that Earl, talking to himself again. Honey, you think he's on meds? You know, you know just freak, freak them out. But just talk to God. Just, and, and he doesn't have a, he's not up in heaven going, oh, they didn't say that. Oh, that. It's like, isn't it great? You know when little kids, like whether it's your children or friends or nieces and nephews, grandchildren, whatever, and kids come running up to you and they want to tell you stuff and they're doing that heavy kid breathing thing where they're like, and, uh, I, and um, I was, I, you know, and they can't even get it out. But you're like, that's the cutest thing I've ever heard. Just keep talking. I think that's how God is with his kids. He doesn't, there's not a, an art to it. He just, he loves when his kids talk to him. And so if you want to get to know him, it's like anybody else, you got to talk to him. There's this app uh, on your phone, if you don't already know about it, it's called YouVersion. And uh, you download it, and I think, in my humble opinion, it's one of the greatest inventions of our time for believers, for, for followers of Christ. It's got reading plans on there, devotions. <clears throat> you can get a group of friends and uh, do it together. Uh, you got to download it. it. It's a great tool just to get you started. There's a book that I love uh, by a girl named Sarah Young called Jesus Calling. And the reason I love that book so much is she wrote it in first person from Jesus. So when you read it, you're reading Jesus literally speaking to you in first person, right? And that book has made such a profound impact on my heart over the last three or four years. I'm just telling you, pick it up and get it just about anywhere, certainly on, online. Uh, and then something that my wife and I have figured out is if you want to get to know God better, hang out with people who want to get to know God better. Listen to me. I'm not saying don't hang out with people that don't want to get to know God better. That's why you're here is to help them bump into Jesus. But for your own heart, <clears throat> for you to get to know him, you ought to spend time with people that want to get to know him. And around here, we call that life groups. And, and it doesn't even have to always be Bible study. That's great. But just surround yourself with people who think like you do and they go, I want to I love God more and I know if I'm going to love him more, I got to know him more. Everybody with me on that? <clears throat> Excuse me. I covered. Oh, that's not a good idea. <clears throat> Sorry. Let me take a drink here real quick. Oh, there you go. Thank you. Can you do that again? MVP of the day back there. That guy. <laughs> By the way, um, when you come to church or a group and somebody's up here speaking with a microphone, everybody always thinks that the person with the microphone's in control. That's not true. It's the person who controls the microphone that's in control. So um, anyway, sorry, I digress. Um, I want to share some things with you today that um, they're not on the screen. I added them to my notes kind of late in the week. <clears throat> and they're just things that I've learned from personal experience, and I don't do these perfectly, but I've done them enough in my life that I feel like I can tell you this 
1,000%. Think of it like I'm a satisfied customer telling you where to shop. Okay, so here it is. Number one, if you want to write these down, you can, but they're just not on the screen. Number one, I promise you, you will not regret taking the time to get to know God more intimately. You won't, I promise. And you know what else I'll promise you? It'll be awkward at first, kind of like taking a walk and going, I don't know what to say. It's going to be awkward, but I promise if you'll push through that, you will not regret getting to know him. I have never met someone who got to know God closely or intimately, and then they came back to me and said, I can't believe I wasted my time getting to know God. What a loser. Like, what a waste of my time. Nobody says that. So, number one, you will not regret getting to know him more. Number two, the more you get to know him, the more you will love him. It'll just happen. I promise you, to know God is to love God. You know how there are humans, you get to know them better, and the more you get to know them, the less you love them sometimes? It's not that way with God. As you get to know him, you will love him. And this, this one's the big one. Number three. The more you love him, the more you'll automatically, without thinking, start to do the stuff he does. You'll start to think like him and act like him. And you'll start to see other people like him. It just happens. That's why I was saying earlier, I don't think he wants you to follow a list of do's and don'ts. He wants your heart to become like his. And then the rest of it happens naturally. Okay? So that's the love God part. We've got to fly here. Here's love other people. Okay? And aren't you glad we saved this for last? People. <laughs> Wouldn't life be awesome if it weren't for the people? Wouldn't that be great? I've heard pastors for years say, ministry, ministering in the church would be awesome if there were just no people. I think it's hard for us to love people for this reason. I think our enemy, listen to me, singular, our one enemy, the devil, I think he works overtime to try to get us to think that other people are the enemy. So we'll stop thinking about the real enemy, and then we're a sitting duck. It's divide and conquer. He wants you to think other people are your enemy, and he wants other people to think that you're their enemy, and that's a lie. And so maybe God brought you here this morning for no other reason than to hear this. Your spouse is not your enemy. Your boss is not your enemy. Your co-workers, your neighbors, the people you go to school with, your teachers, your coaches, your parents, there are students in here today, they're not your enemy. The enemy might use them to discourage you or to get you off track or to take your eye off the ball, but they're, they're not your enemy. You only have one enemy. In fact, I'll go a step further. Not only are they not your enemy, they're the object of your love. All this love that wells up in your heart when you get to know God and love him, it goes to all those other people. Here's a really big one. Not even the 
people in traffic are your enemy. <laughs> Am I the only one? Or, like, it seems like sometimes my walk with Christ can be firing on all cylinders. I mean, I'm in his word. I want to know him more. I want to love him. I want to love my wife and my friends and my family well. And Everything's going great, man. I'm even thinking almost as much about the Bible as I think about sports. And I, like, it's going great, right? And then you put me behind the wheel of a car and the devil comes out, man. There is a good chance. I'm just going to be honest, okay? This is family here, safe zone. In the year that I have lived in Nashville, there is a good chance that at some point on I-40, between here and downtown Nashville, I have tried to race you. <laughs> you weren't racing me, but I was racing you. And I don't even think that's possible. Like, you can't race somebody that's not going to the same place you're going to, right? But... But when people are on the interstate and like I'm going this speed and they go two miles an hour faster than me and they pass me, I'm like, oh, 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 okay, all right. You know, and I'm like, it's on. <laughs> Does anybody else do that? I'm like, what are we doing? While I'm on this soapbox, uh, I'd like to inform some of you of something because this one really gets me. You may not have been informed, but the far left lane of the interstate is the fast kid lane. And so, love God and love people, but you little slow drivers, that's not for you. Okay? So you need to stay out of the fast kid lane. And isn't it true, like, someone will pull over in front of you and go slow, and you're, like, letting them know, man. You're inching up closer, maybe tailgating a little bit, telling them they're number one with whatever finger you use or whatever, and... And, and then you, you finally get around them and you're beating them in the race and, and then uh, somebody else gets on your tail. And then you're the tailgate police all of a sudden, even though 30 seconds ago you were the tailgater. Now you're like, what are you doing, buddy? Back off, man. <laughs> the other day I pulled into uh, to a Kroger in Mount Juliet and uh, I went to open my door and I realized my goodness, I can hardly squeeze out of my car. And I looked down, and the car next to me, literally, part of his tire was inside my part of the white line. And this was my thought. That person's going to hell. <laughs> like, what a horrible human being. And they probably, did, they probably were waiting for me, and they did it on purpose just to make my day worse. Can anybody relate to that? Here's the deal. They're not your enemy, but your enemy will use them. And he knows if you think they're the enemy, you won't love them very well. And so here are some reminders about loving people and then, then we'll be done today. This, this one's really important. When you love something, your mind is set on doing what is good for it. Just think on that one for a minute. When you love something or someone, you make up your mind, I want to do what's good for it. So a couple of examples here. Some of you have a car and you love it. Like I've known people that love their car so much, they get that. They pay the monthly membership to the car wash, you know, and they go like, they, they go like uh, five times a week and, and you get in your car, in their car to ride with them and you have a soda with you and like, oh, no, 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 uh, you're going to have to 
get rid of it. You know, they, they take care of their car because they love it. If you have a, a pet, um, about a year ago, we adopted a, a dog named Gracie. And uh, man, I love that dog. She's really dumb, but I love that dog. Uh, and so, you know what? Because I love her, I look out for her. Like, I do stuff that's good for her. I take care of her. Now, here's where it gets awkward. If you say you love your coworker, if you say you love your neighbor, if you say you love the people who have hurt you, then by definition, you'll make up your mind to do what's good for them. As we close this morning, I, there's, there's this real problem when it comes to following God's command to love one another. And uh, by the way, uh, in John chapter 13, Jesus ups the ante. In Mark 12, he quotes Leviticus 19 and says, love your neighbor as yourself. But in John 13, he says, a new command I give you. Love one another like I have loved you. I think one of our problems with that is we just get too busy. Let me give you an example. There's this uh, author, and I read several years ago his account of going into Home Depot one day. He walks into Home Depot, and uh, everybody's busy, right? They get their orange aprons on, and they're doing good stuff. There's a guy up on a ladder stocking shelves, and there's some Home Depot people over here in their orange aprons, and they're uh, having a, a pre-shift uh, worker meeting. That's what they should be doing. There's some people uh, milling around at the cash register, and he walks in, and he's thinking to himself, I just need a thingamajig. You ever go into Home Depot and you need a thingamajig? Like, I need one of these. I need some help because here's what happened, and I just need, I need this. And he says, I go up to the guy who was on the ladder, and he's got the orange shirt on, so I, I'm assuming he's there to help me. But I say, hey, I, I need a thingamajig, and, and the guy answers him, that's not my department, dude. You're going to have to go to aisle whatever, right? So he starts making his way down to the other aisle, and as he passes the employees that are having the the orange apron meeting there before their shift. He doesn't feel comfortable interrupting them because clearly they're having an important meeting. And, and he wanders around the store for a little bit, and then this is what he writes. He says, eventually, I left. Because even though everybody was busy doing really good stuff, everybody forgot about the most important person in the room, me. I'm the customer. Like, I'm the reason that you exist. And as I read that story, I thought about the church. Not just our church, the big C, the church. Because we all do, we, we do a bunch of good stuff, right? We come in on Sunday morning, there's people straightening chairs, there's people getting ready to take care of kids, and there's people doing stuff in the parking lot and warming up to play and preparing to speak, and we're all doing good stuff. But sometimes we forget about the most important person in the room. You could translate that to an emergency room, couldn't you? A trauma unit. Someone walks into the ER and they're bleeding profusely. Maybe they're bleeding to death. 
And the nurses are busy, man. They're doing stuff. And the doctors are, are, are doing stuff. And it's all good stuff. Maybe they're performing an operation or whatever. But no one's paying attention to the person who's bleeding to death. And, and for us to hear that, we go, well, that's a, absurd. That's the whole reason a, a hospital is there for people that are hurting, right? I think sometimes we, big C, the church, take our eye off the ball. And we think about good stuff, we just don't think about the most important stuff. Love God and love other people. I told the Mount Juliet crew this morning, and I'm not trying to be overdramatic, I think this is 1,000% true. I believe every time the church opens its doors, somebody's going to walk through our doors and we got one shot because they're bleeding to death. And, and what they don't need is the church to say, why are you bleeding? Well, I got shot. Well, why'd you get shot? Where were you? What were you doing? And we start telling them how to live their lives and they just go, can you just help stop the bleeding? And you know how that translates in the church? I don't want you to judge how I'm living. I don't want you to give me all this list of reasons why I'm a sorry human do you have any hope can you just give me some hope a few years ago I I pulled into Sonic during happy hour that's a good place to be between two and four right because the the drinks are 99 cents or they used to be or whatever and I pulled into this Sonic and I just wanted a route 44 diet Dr. Pepper I remember thinking, it's been a long day, I'm kind of in a bad mood, I just want some caffeine, and I, I just want to chill. Pulled in, ordered my Diet Dr. Pepper, and uh, while I was waiting for the car hop to bring it out to me, I had this $50 bill in my pocket, which I never carry cash, never carry cash. But I don't even remember why I had it in my pocket, but I had a $50 bill in my pocket, and I felt the Lord say, hey, when... When the car hop comes out, pay for the drink with the $50 bill and tell them to keep the change. And I quickly corrected God because I'm like, clearly, clearly you're not on your A game today, God, because you do not want me to do that because you know how bad we need this. $50 was and is a big deal to the Ferris family. And I'm like, you, you don't want me to do that. And he just wouldn't let it be. He said, uh, it was kind of like he was like, do you love me? and give her the 50 and tell her I just wanted her to be blessed today. So she comes out, she's a 20-year-old girl. She comes out, gives me her, my drink, and I hand her the 50, and the first look on her face was, you jerk, you're going to make me make change on a 99-cent drink. She was picturing just like doing that little thing, you know, 100 times. And then I said, hey, the rest is for you, just keep it. And then the look on her face was like, are you crazy? And I'm thinking to myself, well, some say, uh, but that's not why I'm doing this. And she said, are you serious? I said, yeah, yeah, it's yours. And tears started streaming down her face. And she said, sir, I'm 20 years old and I'm a single mom. I got pregnant when I was 18. When I left for work this morning, I realized my, I'm out of formula for my baby. 
And because of your kindness, I know going home tonight, my child's going to have food in her stomach. Why, why, why would you do this? And in obedience, I said, God just wanted you to be blessed, I think. And something God never minds is when we do good for other people. Remember, when you love something, you make up your mind to do what's good for it. I think he never minds doing good for other people and then giving him the credit. Now, what, what we don't do is do good for people and then say, so come to my church on Sunday morning. It ain't about that. God, the Holy Spirit will take care of all that stuff. In fact, our job is just to do simply this. Last thing, look at the screen. Our job is just to love other people in such a way that they want what we have. Like they look at you at work or at school or at Sonic or wherever you make up your mind to do what's good for other people. And they go, I don't know what that person has, but I, I want some of that. And as I put my truck in reverse and backed out of Sonic that day, something happened in my heart. As tears started running down my face. And I thought, that just felt right. Like it, it's almost like that's what I was, that's what I'm supposed to be doing. Like, do that kind of stuff. And so what if we all did that? And don't everybody go to Sonic today, okay? Don't, like, they'll freak out. Some, some car, Sonic car hop will go with, home with $1,500 worth of tips, you know? Don't, don't, don't everybody... But like in your normal everyday life, just what if we made up our mind that we're going to get to know God more so we can love him more, so that we can do the things that he does, so that we can make up our mind to do what's good for those around us. Could you imagine what would happen in God's church if we did that? Let's pray together this morning. God, thanks for loving us. Thanks for believing in us more than we believe in ourselves sometimes. Thanks for being patient, comforting us and forgiving us. Thanks for giving us hope. Lord, as we leave here today, let it not be just another time that we went to church and we go to lunch and we're like, well, that was nice today. God, would you change us? Would you remind us all day and all week to keep our eye on the ball, not, not all the stuff that our enemy wants to think, like start thinking that we're each other's enemies. And God, help us just do the stuff that you do. That's our prayer, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.